Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. My name is Jonathan Spicer, and I'm a thoracic surgeon practicing up in Montreal at McGill University here in Canada. This section will be on some of my tips and tricks for surgeons managing post-neoadjuvant care. So I think the first and most important point for any surgeon looking to employ neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy for a potentially resectable patient is to choose the right patient to offer this to. I think in general, surgeons are accustomed to selecting their patients for surgery because it's via this selection process that we identify patients best suited to benefit from the curative potential of of an operation uh, to resect lung cancer. With that in mind, I think it's critical to realize that both Checkmate 816 and the DEEM2 uh, and all other periagent phase 3 trials for which there are pending results were designed to recruit patients who had operable disease at baseline. The goal of these studies was not to select patients with potentially resectable or borderline resectable or frankly unresectable disease to treat them in the hopes that they might be downstaged and and become operable. So what I think all surgeons should ask themselves when they see a patient in the clinic and they're considering this approach is could I get an R0 resection if I took this patient to the uh, operating room today? And if the answer is no, then, then you are by definition dealing with a borderline resectable disease. And while I don't have any uh, objections to using uh, preoperative chemoimmunotherapy with the goal of potentially resecting these patients, you can't expect the same kinds of results as those that have been published to date when you offer that kind of treatment plan to these borderline resectable patients. The other issue is making a clear difference between what is resectable or operable anatomy and and what is adequate physiology to tolerate the operation required to have the right oncologic outcome. Um, And this means the patient has to have adequate respiratory reserve, uh, leaving sufficient capacity for good quality of life based on the operation needed baseline to achieve cure. I think it's critical to exclude patients who have EGFR or ALKAR alterations because they are unlikely to benefit from this treatment approach. In fact, could have their treatment course compromised as a result of potentially uh, treating them with immunotherapy when they may be better uh, addressed with other forms of treatment. So I think there's a lot we can do in terms of restaging patients. Uh, There isn't a whole lot of data to guide us about what to do, but my approach has really been to just do what is necessary and sufficient, uh, keeping in mind that a lot of the tests that we can do may generate information that isn't particularly helpful, but will create a lot of questions that sort of need to be addressed. So in summary, uh, I think at, at a minimum, a CT chest with IV contrast is very helpful for surgical planning and it will help rule out gross disease progression. And in my mind, this is a necessary element and, and probably sufficient in most cases with regards to restaging. I think invasive media style restaging as a routine practice rarely changes the surgical plan and does not really need to be done in such a manner. I think it could be applied in specific scenarios where there's a serious concern about potentially unresectable or contralateral disease that needs to be rolled out. I've not been using uh, PET imaging as a routine post-treatment because at least 10 to 20% of patients will have this phenomenon of nodal immune flare. And 
this can be quite problematic, requiring us to do invasive staging when the vast majority of the time it'll just be a benign inflammation that is induced by uh, the immune checkpoint inhibitors. There is data now on the effect of neoadjuvant chemoimmunotherapy on PFTs, and there is really no clinically significant impact on uh, lung function for this reason. I don't advocate repeating PFTs after preoperative chemoimmunotherapy. I do think that prehabilitation is extremely beneficial to our patients. Uh, we're fortunate at our hospital to have a team that does a full uh, holistic evaluation of the patient, taking into consideration nutrition, exercise status, uh, and psychological status. And we'll design a sort of a tailored plan for the patient to address and optimize medical comorbidities uh, that are require further attention. Because a lot of folks may not be accustomed to doing preoperative therapy, I think having some sort of logistical workflow is, is helpful. So uh, the number one point is to really have clear lines of communication between the surgical team and those delivering systemic therapy. Uh, things can occur uh, on systemic therapy that might change the plan. Perhaps patient uh, develops a complication, needs to be on steroids, what should be the right timing of surgery. Perhaps they need to go to surgery earlier than expected because there's an intolerance to chemo or a reaction to immunotherapy that precludes further treatment and so it's really essential that there be a free flow of uh, sharing of information so that uh, patients can can be adequately navigated through this pathway second point is uh, to involve pathology early i think it's really important to have adequate material at diagnosis and staging uh, to do biomarker testing and if it's not something that's done reflexively in your center if you think this patient's operable please make every effort to get testing done as soon as possible so there are no uh, delays in care that result from this i think the minimal discussion is one that needs to occur between the thoracic surgeon and medical oncologist but ideally this is supported through a tumor board consensus where radiation oncology is present and all potential therapeutic options are explored for this patient. I think that in our environment, the surgeon consents and books the patient for surgery at that initial visit because uh, at least in our environment, all patients will go to surgery and it's quite helpful to have them already on our surgical list to be able to better plan restaging investigations and timing of the OR. Once the patient has been seen by the surgeon and deemed operable and consented and booked, we try and get them to see the medical oncologist. If it's not in one of our multi-D clinics where they're seen together, uh, the medical oncologist is to see within a short span of time and plans the first cycle of treatment. Once the first cycle is dosed and, and planned, then it's very important for the systemic therapy team to communicate that back to the surgical team so that we kind of have some expectations of when that third dose will be. And based on that, we start uh, tentatively reserving OR time for the patient. So really, they're not the patients are not on a wait list, but on a sort of planned treatment program. Um, and I find that helps with mitigating anxiety about, uh, you know, being on a wait list for surgery. These patients are all sort of on a clear program that has set timelines. I think action plans need to be set up in the event of complications that might arise during systemic treatment. And this comes back to the issue of communication. 
I think that some time needs to be allotted uh, to allow for communication with the patient regarding the results of restaging scans and keeping everything in, in those narrow timelines can be a little bit challenging. So it's important to have your clerical and nursing support staff kind of know what the, the plan is so that they can fit the visits in appropriately. And uh, teleconferencing is, is a great way to, to touch base with the patient, share that information without having them necessarily come back to the uh, hospital, especially when dealing with patients who are further afield geographically. I think it's important for the OR and perioperative team anesthesia to all know that these patients have received preoperative immune checkpoint inhibitors and that this can come with uh, some adverse events that are unusual post-surgery. You know, we've seen patients develop hypothyroidism, be depressed, uh, have uh, pneumonitis. We've seen patients with adrenal insufficiency post-operatively. And so these can present in a subtle manner uh, at first, but can really impact the perioperative outcome. And so uh, having a, a team, a perioperative team that's alerted to these possibilities is, I think, important. I think the pathology requests, once you complete the operation, the specimen is in the bucket on its way to the lab. It should definitely be clearly labeled uh, with regards to the, uh, all the relevant preoperative information, ethnicity, uh, smoking status, whatever biomarker uh, data might already be available, and definitely the type of preoperative therapy that was received so that the pathologist can render the most uh, pertinent result possible. So what about the postoperative care and surveillance of these patients? As I mentioned before, you have to keep the possibility of a subclinical immune-related adverse event in mind. We've seen patients with hypothyroidism, adrenal insufficiency, pneumonitis, but any organ can be affected. And so you should know in your own institution who are your resources should you have someone such complications and to work in collaboration with your treating oncologist to support you and your patient should one of these kind of complications be observed in the perioperative period. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.